Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. One of the more humbling stages on the odyssey of parenting is the day when you realize that your children no longer believe that you are a God. At the beginning, everything you do is a source of awe and wonder. No challenge is too great, such as driving a car or successfully operating a remote control for the television or navigating immensely taxing one-digit mathematical problems. And then, as the glassy-eyed marvel of your offspring slowly transitions to the realization that all is not as it seems in the Emerald City, the curtain that had masked the great and powerful Oz begins to slip. If he has such apparent mastery behind a steering wheel, then why does he use such bad words when other drivers get too close? If she can change channels on the TV, then why is it so hard for her to understand how to operate my Xbox? And why is it that now I am old enough to actually need help with my math homework, that my parents tell me that it is better for me to work it out for myself? How hard it is to bear when our children realize that we are nothing more than taller versions of their own confused selves. We can no longer mask the fact that we are not as wonderful as they had first imagined. There is nothing quite as bruising to the ego than the honesty of a child. As much as this two-way exercise in the discovery of the self has always been with us in the development of the relationship between parent and child, our current era in time poses some peculiar challenges. For while it might be obvious that the digital revolution is making this the most self-referential age in human history, we have little idea what this new reality will do over the next several decades either to our sense of personal identity as individuals or to our sense of identity as communities. What is clear, however, is that attitudes toward the self are changing rapidly. One study quoted in David Brooks' recent book called The Road to Character found that while in 1954 when psychologists asked 10,000 adolescents whether they considered themselves to be a very important person, only 12% said yes. By 1989, now some 30 years ago, the same question elicited a positive response from nearly 80% of those asked. Similarly, when middle schoolers were asked how important it is to them that one day they might be famous, In 1976, they ranked fame 15th out of 16 life goals. By 2007, over half of middle schoolers named fame as one of their top life goals. My favorite study of all of these is the one that asked middle school girls who they would most like to have dinner with. Their answers were as follows. In first place was Jennifer Lopez. Second, Jesus Christ, and third, Paris Hilton. 
I'm reading this, I wasn't sure whether to laugh or to cry or perhaps to do both in that order. At least Jesus didn't come in third. Defense of these middle schoolers, reading our gospel this morning, it is easy to see how Jennifer Lopez and Paris Hilton might be mistaken for good dining partners for the savior of the world if being the center of attention is the qualifying criterion. Just consider the sequence of events we hear Luke describe. Jesus returns to Galilee where he had been brought up. Reports about him spread throughout the surrounding country and soon enough, everyone is singing his praises. And then on returning to his hometown synagogue, most certainly with his family in tow, he reads from the prophet Isaiah with the eyes of all in the synagogue fixed upon him, saying, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Next week, you'll hear how all of this went down with the folks back home. Suffice to say, it involves a steep cliff and some unhappy congregants. Taken in isolation, Jesus' announcement in the synagogue does look a lot like the culmination of a campaign of self-promotion. Yet herein lies the fundamental point of all of this, that Jesus' words here cannot be understood in isolation any more than his sense of self can. For Jesus' actions and identity only truly make sense when we can see them as part of something beyond himself alone. Indeed, put more strongly, in Jesus not only do we see a contrast in character to the self-obsessed narcissist who is so often the subject of our present-day cultural fascination and desire. Jesus, as the fully human divine person, is the outright contradiction of such a self-contained life. The first indicator that this might be is offered in where Jesus makes his declaration. Clearly, Jesus' presentation in the synagogue is not a speech, nor is it an imperial proclamation akin to the high and mighty voices of Rome. This is a word spoken in the heart of community. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, the proclamation of the Lord's favor is all about community about life together, a shared sense of self, without which Jesus' own sense of self has no anchor to its Jewish heritage and his people's messianic hope that Isaiah's prophecy articulates. Yet there is more here merely than the fact that this is good news for community in general. It is good news for this Nazareth community in particular. As little as we know about Nazareth, we do have a sense that people did not think much of it. If you recall in John's gospel, when Philip tells Nathanael that he has found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, Nathanael offers the cutting reply, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Indeed, compared to its larger neighbor, Sepphoris, Herod Antipas's cosmopolitan capital, Nazareth was low in the pecking order of towns in Galilee, itself considered to be a backwater region in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. 
get in Nazareth, among these people of whom nothing was expected, Isaiah's prophetic hope would be fulfilled. The message here is not that Jesus has come back home to let them know how very marvelous their returning son has turned out to be. The message is far more spectacular. That God's salvation is breaking into human history, not among a far-off strong and respected people, but among them, the least, the unnoticed, those most in need of favor from their God. And so, Jesus' proclamation shows us what the individual life is intended for, to live as a self poured out for the transformation of the lives of others, especially those whom the world considers the least. We hear this other-oriented sense of the self articulated explicitly in the first Corinthians passage we read this morning with words well familiar to our own liturgical life, asserting that we, though many members, are one body. The theology of Corinthians declares that being made one in the Spirit means that the ways by which we might otherwise differentiate ourselves from one another, Jew or Greek, slave or free, are in fact to be no barrier to our membership of the body. Furthermore, as a body, it is the seemingly less honorable, the less respected and apparently weaker members who are to be the honored and the respected, the last who now shall be first. The understanding of the self that a life in Christ might look like then is one that sees community as a way for us to live more truly as Christ. You and I are made for community. And it is this promise of community that enables us to move beyond merely a childlike fascination with the self and our own apparent importance in the world and into a space for being that has room for the centrifugal influences of others, the influences that take us out of ourselves at the center of life and into a more honest and life-giving place to dwell in the world. Communities like ours have a very great deal to offer to the world around us in this age of the over-aggrandized self. In sacred community, people have the chance to learn how to empty the ego of its need for approval and recognition and help one another see that to grow is to give oneself away not only for the sake of self-discovery, but for the sake of the lives of others. In sacred community, we learn that we are not our own destination, but that our destination is always beyond who we are capable of becoming alone. In sacred community, you and I learn how fundamentally we are loved by God and intended to be people sent back out into the world to offer that simple, life-changing gift to others. Behold who you are, become what you receive, says Augustine. In this sacred community, constituted in Christ, the gift I am offered 
is that when I look to see who I am, I see Christ. And when I look to see Christ, I see each of you. May it be so for all who might wish to call this place home.